Pastor Jeff Day, uh, he came in 1984. I got saved in 84. First East Coast Bible Conference in 1985. I remember Pastor Day coming. I still even remember some of the sermons he preached at conference. When I took over the church in East Hampton, Massachusetts, the church that's now in Chicopee, our second revival was with Pastor Jeff Day. He came and ministered in the old, remember the old religious building with the big 45, like, stained glass window, like the one we covered up here. And, uh, and, uh, he, just a blessing to my life all along. When I was announced as an evangelist, he immediately asked me to come to, uh, Zambia where he was ministering at the time. His impact and his fingerprint, his DNA, whatever, however you'd like to say on our congregation is, is, solid and there and I don't believe we would be the congregation we are if Pastor Jeff and Maureen did not come and stay as long as they did and what a great blessing is to have him here and so let's welcome him as he comes Pastor Jeff Day it's my joy want to welcome everybody this morning, especially if you're a guest. We appreciate you and believe God for you. And uh, as I said, it's my joy to be here and uh, to minister. I appreciate the invitation. I never take it for granted, the preaching of the gospel. So I'm thrilled about what God's going to do and is doing in your congregation. First Thessalonians chapter 1. Many years ago, uh, I think it was Willow Creek Church, uh, Bill Highbell's congregation, sadly, he had a uh, moral indiscretion, but uh, they, they did a survey, and they went door to door, and they asked the question, if you don't go to church, why? And the five highest reasons were, number one, people said it was boring, Number two, irrelevant. Three, asking for money all the time. Four, um, too busy already. Five, I feel awkward at church. The pastor makes me feel guilty and ignorant, so I leave feeling worse than when I came. Well, I, I hope you don't feel worse than you came this morning, first of all. But then they did a follow-up question. They said, what kind of church would attract you? And the survey's respondents uh, wanted a non-threatening secrecy, elementary level teaching, excellence, high take-home value, and a time to decide, give me time. And and so, you know, that, that's a typical thing, uh, people trying to reach, find out where their audience is, and so on. Uh, and so the real question has always been, is not what do we want in a church, but what does God want in a church? What does God want in a church? Because it is His church. And what characterizes a good church? And I, I want to look in First Thessalonians with you this morning, because it's written to an early church, perhaps one of the best models of what a New Testament should be like. You read commentaries and they commend this church, they praise this church, they applaud this church. Four times Paul says, I thank God for you. This was a good church. 
And uh, it was perhaps imperfect, but a very good church. And so I, I want to preach a simple sermon this morning on a good church. Because uh, if we want to be what God wants us to do, I think there's certain things that we need to be contending for and believing God for to be a good church. First Thessalonians chapter 1. Beginning at verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians and God the Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you, always making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election is of God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know, what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received of the word and much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith towards God has gone out, so that we may we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. Now you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who deliver us, delivers us from the wrath to come. A good church. What constitutes, or what's the measurement of a good church? I'm sure there's a lot of things we could consider, but I just want to consider three with you this morning. First of all, a good church is one that has conversions. The hallmark of the New Testament this morning is it's changed lives. God avails himself to all, anybody who would come to him, the potential of having your life changed, your sins forgiven, chains being broken in one's life and heart. That's the good news of the gospel. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, or the will of flesh, but of the will of God, but God. 1 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Jesus said, Do not marvel that I said that you must be born again. That speaks of the miracle of the recreation. It speaks of the, the born-again experience where a sinner comes before God, admits their need, recognizes, and makes a statement of faith in what Jesus did upon the cross, that he was buried and rose again the third day. And on that third day, he ascended up on high. And as we put our faith in that, the Bible says that we can be born again from above, literally. That something happens that we cannot always articulate it, But Jesus said, just like the wind moves through the trees, you begin to see the evidence of somebody being born again in life. And so I want to tell you, one of the hallmarks of the New Testament church is conversion, changed lives. We we spoke a little bit this morning uh, about the history here in 
And as I think about it, you know, one of the men I've always marveled was Rick, a guy who got saved and his parents were involved in the mafia and he had to go to a court case in which he couldn't go. So he sat down with me about two weeks after being saved. He said, Pastor, they're trying to subpoena me. They want me to come in and testify against my dad. He says, I've already testified. I lied in court, but now I'm saved. I can't lie. And if I don't lie, I'm going to see my dad go to jail. So I said, well, there's a good church in Prescott. And he went there for about three months. Ran out of state. Hallelujah. And just, just you know, I remember a guy named Dan. I'm thinking about conversions. These are genuine articles. Dan, you know, there, there, there was nothing in the early church that we, that we had that would, would draw people. In other words, it wasn't the carpet. It wasn't the building. It was God doing a work in people's lives. And as we were there, a man named Dan Catnola came in. Came in, and I'll never forget, he came in, got saved on a Sunday morning for one year. He did not miss a service. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. From day one. Wasn't emotional, came in, hit an altar, gave his heart to Jesus Christ, and boom. Now, not everybody's always like that. We understand that. And we can't always measure other people's salvation by our own. But I want to tell you, there, there's, there's something powerful that's in conversion, because this is being lost. It's being diluted. Uh, John Wesley said a man can become a convert by falling off his horse before he hits the ground. It's, it's, it's not an osmosis thing. That might be sanctification, but being born again is a miracle of a moment. In a moment's time, the Spirit of God comes in a person's life, and all of a sudden they're right before God, and God begins to move in their lives. And we've seen various people. Uh, we've talked a little bit about Jeff Beswick and various people. But I want to tell you whether some people, can I guess, some people, you know, they walked into church, other people were towed in. Their life was a wreck, myself included. And Jesus changed life. The good news in a good church makes it their aim to see people converted. As a fellowship, as a church, we must structure ourselves with this as a centerpiece. Everything we do has a leaven of how can we reach people? How can we evangelize the lost? How can we begin to, I mean, we, we have altar calls at showers nowadays, I guess. It's more than a program. It's a spirit. Verse 5, he says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and much assurance. He said the gospel came to you. And then in verse 8, it says, It went from you. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia, Achaia, but also in every place. He says, he's writing to this church, and he says, you're a good church, the gospel came to you, and as it came to you, it went from you. In other words, you didn't keep this to yourself. You didn't harbor this. You were not a Christian chameleon. You got saved, and you let other people know that you were saved. He says, it actually, the word sounded out from you as a congregation. That word sounded is where we get the word echo. He says there's something that was reverberating, just like when Lisa Camp stood and said that declaration in that parade, where I said, whoa, it reverberated. These people were getting saved, and it was beginning to be made known. 
And it was acknowledged, and they begin to say, man, we're hearing about what God is doing. Because people are getting saved in life. You know what? They were gossiping the gospel. Hallelujah. The great, great thing. It's a powerful thing. Verse 8 continues. He says, your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declared, uh, declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. And how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Conversion. This is a missing dimension. You know, I talk to other pastors, uh, and there's, you know, uh, many churches, uh, nine out of ten churches in America are plateaued or decreasing. They're not seeing conversions. I was talking to one pastor, he said, yeah, he said, man, this doesn't seem to be like it used to be. He said, these are just slow bloomers. <laughs> I, I like that, slow bloomer. Okay, well, hallelujah. Uh, you know, I think it was uh, a guy named Morelli once said, you know, he said, in our day and age, it's uh, high-maintenance, low-impact converts. People got to be babied forever. Can you say Amen. It's like, you know, easily offended in our generation. Yeah, I'm talking about getting saved and born again. I remember it was Glenn Cluck who he preached. He, he was an evangelist in our fellowship, and uh, he's gone on to be with the Lord. But he had somebody answer an altar call one time. And they came down, and they prayed. And they got up, and, and they said to Pastor Cluck, they said, does this mean i got to go to church all the time? And he said, get back down. You didn't get it. (laughs) How about being a convert? An appetite for things of God. And so what's missing? Because the Word of God through Paul came to these Thessalonians... It found a place, they received it, they believed it, they proclaimed it, and one of the aspects is the Bible says they turned to God from idols. The key to conversion is turning to God from idols. What's that talking about? It's talking about repentance. See, the problem, no one sees himself as an idol worshiper here tonight, today. We think of idol worshipers, we think of, you know, the people in the African jungles and hooga booga, hooga booga, and, uh, and all that's going on, you know, in Malaysia, go to the temples with all the Hindu, Hindu gods and various things, uh, thousands of idols. We can go to the Philippine Islands and you'll see uh, idolatry on the turbocharged level in the Catholic Church and what's involved there. You can see all these things, uh, and, and people say these are worship aids. No, they're idols. An idol is anything that usurps God's rightful place in your life. An idol is anything that usurps God's rightful place in one's life. And the key to conversion is dealing with idols. Allowing Jesus Christ to have first place in one's life. And, you know, that would vary for individuals. I had a man, and 
Zambia, or named Walter. He, he had gotten saved, and he said, Pastor, when I got saved, I was involved in the music industry. I used to love to play guitars. He said, the day I got saved, I put down my guitar, and I, and I set aside my music. Now, that's not for everybody. That was his issue. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, he knew that this was his God at that time. And so this is a few years later, he's sharing that with me. I said, you know, Walter, you can play the guitar. He said, yeah, I know I can. But he said, that was me. I have another friend. He was heavily involved in sports. I mean, you know, you mentioned his college team. I mean, riveted on that, knew all the things. And he got finally, after saved, not saved, saved, not saved, got saved. And he said, I got rid of all my paraphernalia. Because the objective in salvation is Jesus Christ to have a superior affection in your life. For some people, it's drugs and alcohol. I wonder if we have any sipping saints or bonging believers. I told my church, I said, man, I was a sinner at the wrong time. Still a sinner, but I'm saved. Now, THC nowadays, what they're getting over the counter is phenomenal. <laughs> I'm talking about anything that usurps, you know, TV, entertainment. Those things are not always necessary evil in themselves, but if they're consuming your life, people people worship at the God of Sony PlayStation. That that has them. That has their affection. I'm not saying playing a video game is wrong. I'm talking about you want to be saved and live for God. I want to tell you, Jesus has to have the supreme place in your life. He demands that. I mean, that's one of the terms of his discipleship. He talked about family and various. He said, "I got to have first place." Rich young ruler, hey, you want to? You man, you're a great guy. You're a good guy. But listen, you you got this thing called covetousness that's working in your life. I think, and so why don't you sell all that, give to the poor? He doesn't say that to everybody, but he's saying in your case, for me to have proper place, is you're going to have to deal with this. The aim of the gospel is to bring a superior affection to Jesus Christ. So idolatry simply means, in the simplest way, anything that's keeping you from serving God. It could be family, it could be failure, it could be a career. But the fruit of turning from idols is the ability to truly serve God. Verse 9, you turn from idols to serve the living and true God. Hallelujah. See, Christianity is not just what you don't do, it's what you do do. It's not, okay, I can't do that, I can't do that. See, you you turn, that's repentance, from your idols, whatever that might be, from our sin. And as we turn to Jesus and we begin to follow Him, something begins to happen. Dynamics are released. Growth happens. The Spirit of God has right away. Barclay says... uh, and real conversion, a man is turned around and left permanently facing God. In conversion, you find a way to serve God. You, you put Him first in your life. And so the first thing about a New Testament good church is one that contends for conversion. 
whether it's plays, dramas, bands, and all that we do. Can I tell you the most powerful thing, I believe, is just a one-on-one witness. The vast majority that darken the doors of a congregation come in because somebody has invited them. I, I was remembering this. There's another couple, Steve and Jackie Fry. It's a couple that came in, had two kids. Within, within a year, Steve died of, I believe it was cancer, radiation poisoning. He worked at a hospital or something. So I actually went to, they lived in Syracuse and, uh, did the funeral there and came back here. And so Jackie, Jackie did well for a while, but you know, she, she went back to family or something. Probably 25 years later, I get an email. Is this Jeff Day that pastored in Rochester, New York? And so, you know, you're a little leery. Who are you? I said, well, yes, it is. And she said, this is Jackie. Jackie Fry. I want to tell you, you you made an impact in my life. I'm still serving God. Just one of those, you know, as you're a pastor, you really appreciate hearing some things because you you deal with all the dirty laundry sometimes. It's good to hear some good reports, some people living for God on down the road. Hallelujah. That's why you're such a testimony here today. New Testament church is one that contends for conversion. And I say that story because that couple was invited to church at a Chuck E. Cheese from another couple in the church. Wasn't on a 10 o'clock outreach. This life, I'm going to, hey, I'm going to go talk to this family here. Got to know him, invited him out to church. They came out and got saved, and he's in heaven. Because somebody shared their faith because the gospel came to him and went from him and touched Steve and Jackie. Hallelujah. Let's look, so let's look secondly. A good church also believes in discipleship. You know, one of the things Pastor Mitchell used to say is as a fellowship that we begin to understand is the dignity of the local church. And what you what we talk about there is the idea of the wealth and the value and everything you need to see the world one is found in local churches. And what, what that's reiterating is the dynamics of discipleship. Jesus did not go to the school of the prophets to find disciples. He went to the shore of Galilee. He got common individuals, and as they begin to follow Jesus, God began to shape them and fashion them. And God has instituted the church to have everything within the church to see the dynamics of discipleship happen. He says, go forth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Go make disciples. That is the imperative of the commission. He takes it for granted that we ought to evangelize. Go preach. We, we, we ought to share. But making disciples is another task. Uh, and, you know, disciples are made, not born. I remember, you know, old villages, these tourists came to a village and say, any great people born here? One of the moms says, no, just babies. Disciples are made. They're made. 
Jesus said, follow me and I will make, I will make you a fisher of men. Discipleship begins with the promise. It's saying, if I follow him, he's going to make something out of my life. He's going to equip me. He's going to enable. He's going to put something in my life that I'm lacking. And so as we look at this and we talk about a church, his church, the aim is to make disciples. What are we talking about? We're talking about growing individually, developing, maturing, becoming Christ-like in our walk with Jesus. That the fruit of the Spirit begins to be made manifest in our lives and what's involved there. And this is a sincere desire that any pastor would have, and that is to see people come into their destiny. But their destiny is not always going out to pastor a church. Their destiny is to be a follower of Jesus Christ and become more like Him. This has to be the culture of a church always begins with leadership and a pastor and it moves to a congregation. When I stepped into the Prescott Church in 1979, uh, I had no idea, just a sinner who had gotten saved. But I want to tell you that there was an evangelistic spirit that was at work there. There was a movement that was happening. This was an atmosphere. And there was people that were serving, people following up, people showing hospitality. They were loving God, evangelizing people, and loving people. If you can get those things down, that's a powerful dynamic and a church, and all that's involved. And so it has an atmosphere. Thank God, this congregation, I I sense, I know there's an evangelistic push. The Family Fun Day, believe God for that. I haven't had great successes with those, but believe God for, for that. Families coming and hearing the gospel. See, uh, uh, Brother Stoll came to me about the neon lights. And just, uh, I was really, really impressed about his, his, uh, his vision for that and his, uh, his wanting to see that get outside their four walls, the bands, the plays, all that we do is, has that, has that thrust in the arena of life. You know, Zambia, we did a soccer tournament. Anything we can do to gather a crowd. Soccer is the number one sport in the world. I don't know if you know that. You might think it's football, but you're wrong. Whether you like it or not. And so this has to be a culture, a culture of a church. There's an old saying that says, culture eats strategy for lunch. You can plan, you can think, but if you don't have a culture... You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about something happening in your life. You catching a vision of who we are, what we are, and where we're going, what God can... Who, uh, this church is going to be a candlestick church. This church is it survived and moving forward, but it's, it doesn't happen overnight. There's things in your life that you're a reference point for other churches, for your baby churches. It's, it's a powerful dynamic that, that begins to happen because it's a culture of a church. Verse 6, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. 
He said, you received the word with much affliction. You know, serving God as a church, can I tell you? Uh, I, I gave you some of the highlight reels in the Sunday school. But it's not always highlight reels. There was rebellions. There, there, there was betrayals. There's hurts, there's pains, there's afflictions. It's part of the Christian life. You have to weather those. And as you go through those, beloved, God begins to do something in your life and begins to work in your behalf, a very powerful, powerful thing that begins to happen in life. You know, the thing that caught me in this this text was the Apostle Paul, who pioneered the church in Thessalonians, was only there three weeks. It's a miracle. Three weeks, folks, and a church is birthed. You read the history. Acts 16 was a Macedonian call where he's looking for direction. He finally gets a vision. Go to Macedonia. He goes to Macedonia. Right in Acts chapter 17, Paul and the team proceed to Thessalonica, a city of 200,000 people. He's only there three Sabbaths. And Jews, Gentiles, and leading women, the Bible says, got saved. But there are other people that were upset. And the Bible says that lewd fellows, fellows of baser sort, creeps or thugs, we would were hired by the religious people, and they ran Paul out of town by giving a bad report. These that have turned the world upside down have come here also. Then the Bible says they got pushback in that. And that pushback was people begin to lie and slander the Apostle Paul. You know, the real reality is, we've been slandered for a few things, haven't we? We've been called a cult before. Can you imagine? But that just goes, that's the afflictions that come. And you have to weather that because you know what you believe and where you're going in the arena of life. This is very, very powerful that that happens. And so this is what he does. And so this is what transpires. And then church planting, you know, Paul, I just can't get my mind around it. He was there for three weeks. Had converts, women, leading women, the Bible says. And he's run out of town, and somehow a church was established. That gives me hope for places like China, where we've had missionaries go in, and all of a sudden they got to be they got to be removed. The seed of the gospel and the supernatural working of God founded in people's hearts, where God's at work, not a program. God. They heard the gospel and the power of God with much affliction. They got saved and they transmitted it to other people. We're called to be dedicated followers of Jesus Christ, living examples, truth incarnate, uh, that we impress and move in people's lives. A few things about discipleship. One is you've got to have an atmosphere. That's conversion, the supernatural, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We're Pentecostal. We believe that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is a separate experience from being uh, born again. 
We believe in gifts of the Holy Spirit and all that's involved with that this morning. And so this is what it is. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. The gospel does not just stand alone. It's not just a communication of content. It's the power of God. It's the anointing of God. It's the life of God beginning to move. And Paul says, we came with much assurance. And even when he preached in 1 Corinthians, he says, I did not come to you in excellency of speech that your faith would not be worded in my my words, but it would be founded in the power of God. And so when we talk about an atmosphere, we're talking about an atmosphere where we do believe. We don't always see what we want to see, but we believe what we believe, and we contend for that as a church and as people that God would begin to move in people's lives. There has to be involvement. Christianity is not a spectator sport. You have to become a participant. Much of your growth, much of your development, much of one's maturity is going to happen when you get boots on the ground and you can begin to engage in the arena of life. Very easy to be a Monday morning quarterback, sit back and criticize and speak a few things here and there. I think this, but never actually get in the game. And learn. Most people don't get in the game because they, 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 they don't want to sanctify themselves or, or they don't want to look, they want to save face and just say, I, I, I'm good. Rather than say, you know, I ain't got it all together, but I can give of myself to the church. Ministries, nurseries. Got a pastor's wife who's going to take up the mantle. Thank God for that. But I, I can guarantee you God wants another woman to rise. I feel like preaching. There's visitation. There's Bible studies. I had a guy, he was giving altar calls in our 180. I said, you don't even run a Bible study. He said, well, I don't want to do a Bible study. He said, well, I don't want you doing altar calls. Why not? Because pastoring is much more about doing Bible studies than preaching an altar call. And usually when I have people preaching my 180, it's people that want to pastor one day. So if you're unwilling to take a Bible study, maybe you're not ready for an altar call in the music scene. Hallelujah. The choice to bear responsibility and find joy of the Holy Spirit when you do. It's an impartation. Some things are better caught than taught. Jesus said, follow me. They said, imitate me. You know, perhaps the greatest illustration I've seen of this is your former pastor, Jesse Morales. I remember coming to this church. I, I, I kind of came in, just was visiting, didn't let Jesse know. I just came to church. And the first time I saw Pastor Morales preach, I go, I, I could close my eyes and go, where did Jesse go? Sounds like Greg Mitchell. I actually told Pastor Greg Mitchell, I said, you know, Greg, I want to tell you, I, I, I commend you. Pastor Morales, man, what an impartation. I said, to the point of weirdness. <laughs> but there is an impartation. That, that, that just happens as we hear the gospel and we, we align ourselves and our hearts are linked with our headship and what's involved there. And ultimately, it's a matter of the heart. 
Well, we open ourselves to, to the various ministry that God has for us. I so commend this church because three weeks they lacked very, they, they just got saved. God undertook for these people and helped them. But I want to tell you, a good church will, will contend for converts. A good church will begin to put in place things that call for discipleship and atmosphere, a culture and involvement and impartation, raise the bar at times to say you want ministry, it's going to have to require a certain level of consecration in life of what we're doing here. We're not just giving people religious positions to hold them. We want to see disciples made. And lastly, a good church also is a church that is expecting Jesus Christ to come. Expecting Jesus to come. You know, when I got saved, I mean, outside of, you know, partying one time and perhaps talking about the late great planet Earth, I'd never heard about Jesus coming again. But when I got saved, that was in the forefront. Uh, Old time uh, evangelistic films, Thief in the Night, Distant Thunder, the image of the beast and these things. And I'd go to church and they say, you've never seen Thief in the Night? I said, no, I've never seen Thief in the Night. I've been a Thief in the Night, but I've never seen Thief in the Night. (laughs) They couldn't believe it because these guys could lip sync those movies. But it's just about the return of Jesus Christ. And the expectancy and what was involved with that oftentimes, that Jesus could come at any time. It's imminent. His return is imminent. He could come at any time. You, you have Pastor Paul Stevens coming. You're going to have a tremendous revival. You need to bring people. You need to expect. Uh, he, he has such a, a weight about his ministry. He'll impart things to your life. It would be a great, great blessing. And, uh, you know, I remember he was actually, this came to my mind, is he was preaching for me in Zambia, and he mentioned something about the rapture, and he said, you know, when I was first saved, he said, I thought the rapture happened, and I'd call Pastor Warner, and as soon as he picked up, I'd hang up. Because I figured if he's still here, I'm okay. Do you remember the bumper stickers, you know, uh, in case of rapture, this car will be unoccupied, and, you know, these kind of things. And so, we haven't misplaced our hope, folks. His return is closer than ever before. Verse 9, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he has raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Think about me. He's there for three Sundays, three Saturdays in the Jewish calendar. And he felt it sufficient as he's writing back. He says, you know Jesus. Within three weeks, he's telling them about Jesus is coming again. That, that, is, that is immediately saying that this needs to be in the forefront of a church. Jesus, that expectation, that hope, that desire. Three weeks or he puts an emphasis on this. And it's estimated, one author says, it's estimated one in four verses deals with the end times in Thessalonians. 
Listen to this. He says in verse 19 of chapter 2, For what is our hope, our joy, our crowning, our rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ in His coming? Verse three, thirteen of chapter 3, So that He may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Chapter 4, verse 17, Then we all who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Chapter 5, verse 23, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and make your whole spirit and body and soul be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Three weeks. And this, this, this apostle has put into these people, Jesus Christ is coming again. These are brand new converts. These are people that got saved. He says, you need to understand, you got saved, but he's coming again. Hallelujah. That is a good church. We can't hear it enough. I know Pastor Paul Campbell constantly has a bit of a prophetic ministry, talks about Jesus coming, and he still has a recite in his heart to this day that he could come at any time. Maranatha, can you say amen? Come quickly, Lord, come quickly. I close with this. An article by Greg Laurie, he's uh, the pastor of a Harvest Church there in California. Why the rapture hasn't happened, he concluded, God hasn't saved everyone that he wants to. Somewhere on this planet, there's a particular man or woman for whom the Lord is waiting. And when they decide to put their faith in Jesus, we will be caught up to meet him in the air. Hallelujah. Maybe it'd be you hitting this altar, giving your life to Jesus. Boom, you get down, you... Pray, and all of a sudden you're in heaven. Oh, that's the good news of a good church. People get saved and converted. We struggle, we contend, whether we see it, we contend for that. We expect it that Jesus Christ comes in hearts and revolutionizes them. And yes, people need a lot of sanctifying, but I tell you, if there's life, there's life. Life more abundant. And a good church is one that disciples, that puts in a, a, a place, you know what, we, we want to serve your destiny. We want you to get involved. We want to impart everything we have to you to see your life blessed and the destiny God has for your life unfold. And lastly, a good church never loses sight that Jesus Christ is coming again. Amen. Let's bow our heads this morning. Appreciate your attentiveness this morning. Maybe you're here this morning. I talked about being born again, being converted. I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm talking about you turning from your sin to Jesus Christ and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And if you're here, can I tell you, Jesus is here. If you're here and you don't know the Lord, you don't know Him personally, never have made a decision to surrender your life and turn to Him and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I believe that you died for me and you rose again. I want that to be mine this morning. If you'll do that, God will do a miracle. God will come inside your heart. The power of God. They turn to God from idols because in a superior affection happened in their heart. Jesus was real to them. And you say, Pastor Keith, Brother Day, I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand?
Anybody at all? I'm going to pause here just for a moment. You're not right with the Lord. You don't have to understand everything I've said. But you know you're not right with the Lord. You're not right with God. God's dealing with you to get right. And that happens by you turning to Him, receiving His forgiveness, coming to Him just as you are and say, God, I need you as my Lord and Savior. If that's you and you'd like that, maybe you're a backslider. And you want to say, that's me, Lord. I'm not right with God. Would you lift your hand quickly? Anybody at all? Okay, thank you. Okay, I want to change the appeal then. I want to speak to God's church. What a, what a blessing to see this congregation. Because this is a good church. I'm preaching to the choir. It's a church that for years, decades, has contended for conversions. Don't allow the devil to get you to lose heart in your evangelistic efforts. It's a church that believes in disciples, couples, and serving people. And just to have this facility and this church functioning the way it is requires a lot of labor behind the scenes. And that's people that are being developed and growing because they're involved. And I want to declare Jesus is coming again. I'm going to avail this altar this morning for you to come. Maybe God's speaking to you about your church and how you can be a part of it. Maybe God's talking about your affections with Jesus Christ. Something's usurping that. Something's made inroads and, and you're, not, you're not really serving God the way you ought to. God wants to help you this morning. That's between you and Him. And He's faithful to deal with our hearts. And so we're going to avail some time at this altar, a meeting place with you and God. You come and find a place to to talk to God if God's speaking to you. So we stand this morning, and we're going to have our brother lead us and our sister in worship with Randy playing. Let's sing. My soul knows very
Let's all stand this morning. Stay right where you are. We're just going to worship God. my soul know. Let's worship the Lord this morning. Father, we bless you. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Libandare bebe bebe andorramamako. We glorify you, Lord. We exalt you, Lord. Libando We give you praise. We give you worship. Hallelujah.